0: Well, thanks, Rob. No, it, it really is a privilege to be able to be a part of a church that gives lay people, right, non-paid staff, the opportunity to teach the Word. And it not only sharpens me in how I can communicate the gospel to others, but in my own preparation for this, God deepens my love for His Word and my understanding of an application for my own life. So I hope that um, what God's laid on my heart this morning, I hope it speaks to you. That really is our prayer. And we're going to look at a, a difficult passage. When Rob asked me, If I was interested in preaching, I said, sure. And he said, okay, I want you to do Acts 7. And I said, the whole thing? And he said, yes. And I was a little intimidated at that point. But, you know, as I really dug through this account, um, I think the evidence of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's life um, is so clear. And I think as we've been looking through the book of Acts and seeing what a Spirit-filled church should look like and what Spirit-filled people should be and reflect of God. Um, Stephen is the perfect embodiment of all those things. So in a moment, we're going to look at Acts chapter 7. If you're with us online, uh, you can go ahead and and turn your Bibles there. If you're here in the room, we're going to stand shortly. But before we do, as you uh, turn to Acts chapter 7, my wife and I, which I think there was a picture of our family up on screen for those that maybe aren't familiar with me. Maybe you've seen my kids running around the hallways of the church, but we have Three great daughters, Dylan, Madeline, and Amelia, and uh, in our community group, we do icebreakers occasionally, and so I thought this morning, an icebreaker that I would want to share is a guilty pleasure, and one of my guilty pleasures is family road trips. Whether Anna and I do it because we like to be frugal and just save the money rather than having to pay for five plane tickets, maybe one reason, but I think there's a guilty pleasure that we get of the memories of being on the road and seeing different parts of the country. And this past week, just like Rob was on vacation, we took a trip to go visit my sister who's in North Carolina, and we drove the 1,000 miles out and the 1,000 miles back in a week, 30 plus hours on the road with our kids, and uh, you know, the big girls are great, Amelia can get a little testy, with her toddler spirit, but regardless, it was a great, meaningful time as family. And as I've reflected of being a father and things that God has shown me through that role, one of the things is I think getting a better understanding of him as our heavenly father. And I'm not naive because I have many friends that have come from broken homes or imperfect families where their parents did not reflect parenting the way that God has designed. Thankfully, that was not my story. I had God-fearing, Christ-loving parents that raised me, but seeing how God really loves us as children through the Word has encouraged me in my own parenting, and it's given me this illustration that I want to share with you this morning when we look at how we should respond to the Holy Spirit, which is when you look at the principles of parenting, one large one is trust and care and love that a parent tries to demonstrate to their child in order that their child will then want to respond through obedience. If I prove to be an unloving father, why would my children want to obey me except out of fear, right, or duty? But if I demonstrate to them loving kindness and patience when they mess up, I think I get to see a side of God that He demonstrates to me. And hopefully it it deepens my faith and my trust in Him. And that's where I think we see all of Scripture pointing. God has revealed himself through his word, not only so that we can see characteristics and attributes of himself, but there's a larger narrative of our sin contrasted against his holiness and the fact that we as imperfect people that are sinful against him can only be saved from our sin because of what Christ has done. And so we're gonna look at Acts chapter seven and really see the testimony or witness that Stephen gives as his defense before this crowd of angry people But we're also going to contrast his spirit-filled life with their resisting the holy spirit and hopefully for us see kind of a litmus test where do our own hearts align with the spirit of god as it is today so before we read this passage we're not going to read the entire passage of acts chapter 7 so if we kind of set the stage stephen and we looked at it last week was one of the first early deacons He was a lay person, he was not an apostle, he was not a direct disciple that we saw accounts of in the gospels of being with Jesus. But the early church and the apostles selected him as not only a deacon, but recognized that he was a spirit-filled man. And in chapter 7, we see him boldly proclaiming the gospel, and as a reaction to what he's proclaiming, he's accused of very similar accusations of what Jesus faced. Blasphemy against Moses and the law, and blasphemy against the temple. And Stephen, his defense is really not a defense. He's not trying to clear his record of anything. He's just trying to point the people back that in their stubbornness, they continue to miss the mark and are not responding to the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 7, verse 51. If you want to stand with me, we'll read this together. Acts 7, 51, and we'll go to the end of this chapter. And Stephen, addressing this crowd, says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You can be seated. Let's pray just that God would speak through his word and give us understanding today of how it applies to us. Father, we are so unworthy And everything in Scripture points back to your Son. And Lord, we pray that just by your Spirit that we would not miss that message. Lord, would you find in us people that are sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our life. Lord, for myself, I pray that whatever I say today would be guided by the truth of your Word. We pray that by your Spirit, you'd give us understanding. And Lord, what Paul, who we see Guilty of executing Stephen, but knowing by the Spirit you radically transformed his life, and he saw that power. Father, would his heart be mine and, and all of ours here at Northwest that when we approach the Word of God, we don't try and um, dress it up with our own wisdom and understanding, but Father, there would be a clear demonstration of the power that you have and demonstrate the Spirit's work in our life. So, Father, would you do that and honor yourself through your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, Stephen spends almost 50 verses talking about the Old Testament, so it begs the question, how central is the Old Testament to how you and I understand the gospel message? The gospel isn't limited just to the New Testament. God's narrative throughout Scripture points to Christ, Both our need for a savior, but also that Christ would be that savior. And Rob, I'm going to steal his line from creation to Christ that he teaches on Wednesday nights, guides us through Old Testament passages that illustrate both of those points, our own sin and the need to have a savior, and that Christ was the one who would fulfill that role. And through Stephen's testimony, this is going to be our first point of how we break this up into two points this morning we see Stephen reminding the people that the Spirit of God calls and demands a response to the gospel. The way God has designed for us to respond to the Holy Spirit is what the Bible calls faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a great mirror of what Stephen's witnesses before this crowd where we see this list of Old Testament men and women who by faith responded to God And a simple definition that we get from Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 2, you can see this on the screen with me, is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And then verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is to our benefit. It helps us to see Christ and respond through faith. And Stephen's testimony is in effect recounting just a few individuals that this crowd would have been very familiar with and trying to urge them not to miss that Jesus was the Messiah. He focuses primarily on Abraham and Moses. And we don't have sufficient time. I mean, you could break this passage up into multiple weeks to look at how God has revealed himself through Old Testament characters and individuals that obeyed when called. But to just briefly look at Abraham, Stephen's first example in, in Hebrews 11 verse 8, the writer reminds us that by faith Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham became the illustration of faith for us and by his obedience, even though he did not know where he was being led, He didn't even see it fulfilled in his lifetime, the things that God had promised. He still trusted and obeyed. And because of his faith, and Paul will hit on this in in a lot of detail in Romans, Abraham became for us the foundation of being saved by faith and that being counted as our righteousness for God and part of his plan of redemption. But then Stephen spends you know, almost 20 plus verses looking at Moses. Verses 17 through 41, Stephen kind of breaks Moses' life up into thirds. But really the concentration of what Stephen, I think, wanted to remind this audience is that Moses was appointed spiritual leader. He was a Christ-like figure that led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and through the wilderness, God gave him the law that the people would obey, and that Through their obedience, God promised to accomplish certain things through his nation, but ultimately to bring salvation to all people. And yet, while Moses was faithful to God, the people became hard-hearted, didn't they? They turned their back on Moses um, through discouragement of things that they could not see or couldn't fully trust in the way that Moses did. They lost sight of the target and fell off and sinned against God ultimately resisting God and refusing to obey Him. And Jesus tells us Himself that Moses' testimony pointed to Christ coming. In John chapter 5, Jesus reminded His disciples in these crowds that He was speaking to, telling them that they searched the Scriptures because they think that in them they would have eternal life. And it's those Scriptures, the Old Testament, that bore witness about who Jesus was, yet they refused to come to Him that they may have life. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so we see consistently what Stephen is trying to just basically echo the testimony of what Jesus himself was telling the crowds and those that were willing to listen, is that all the scripture pointed to him and the Holy Spirit was calling for a response by faith. This is really the ministry context for what Jesus saw is people that claim to be religious in word and deed. They claim to love God, but their hearts were far from them, and they never really understood what Jesus was telling them because of their hard-heartedness. They don't believe what God's revealed through Scripture, and when we refuse to go back to the Word of God as our authority, it's a slippery slope where we will find ourselves resisting the Holy Spirit, being hard-hearted towards God. And I think for us, that is a warning that is still true today, is that we can fall into a similar trap. We can easily be swayed to preach a more comfortable gospel than what scripture points to, or we can err on the other side where we concentrate on promoting a lifestyle that maybe appears godly, but in the substance of it, we've never called people to respond with their heart soul, and mind. If they look like a duck and quack like a duck, they're a duck, right? But that is not what the gospel message is. On the outside, we can look like we have it all together, but inside our life is a wreck. Whether it's public or in secret, there are things that we conceal and we remain in sin and we're not transformed by God. The other thing that we have to be careful of, and this is where I think We can find ourselves preaching a weaker gospel than what we've really been seeing through Acts is that this issue of our sin is not something that we can correct on our own. It's only by the Spirit of God changing our life that anything good can come from David or anyone else in this room. My own striving to become like Christ is void and empty and lifeless if the Spirit of God is not the motivating factor for what's happening in my heart. And that's where we see... Again, the response starts with faith and is demonstrated by obedience. And God, through the Old Testament, again, told the people this was the model of how it would be accomplished. Look at this prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. God speaking and through Ezekiel, he says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh And give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Apart from the Holy Spirit giving us that new heart that can walk obediently with God through faith, we're lost and we will always remain hard-hearted towards him. Just look back at this crowd that Stephen's interacting with, right? Their knowledge of the scripture is lifeless, it's weak, It's impotent. There's no power in it. Not only have they missed the call of God through Abraham, they've missed the mark and what the law was supposed to demonstrate about their own condition of their heart and need for a Savior through what God gave Moses. But then when God sends his own son as atonement for their sin, God in the flesh they cannot recognize. They know Scripture front and back, but they can't recognize when the living Word of God is in their presence among them. And then now these men and women who would know this prophecy from Ezekiel see it fulfilled in the life of Stephen in the early church where the Spirit is moving, and they miss the mark again, rejecting again God's messenger that by the Spirit's power is evidence of what God is doing, dwelling in His people, accomplishing what He had prophesied about. Look back at verse 51 through 53. Stephen really kind of goes for the jugular with these, right? He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. I mean, Stephen just goes straight for it. Israel's long history is completely fulfilled and repeated through this people. They are rejecting God, resisting the Holy Spirit. That word resisting in the Greek is antipipto, which it's kind of the idea of striving against or to oppose someone or something. So think back in my earlier example with my children and this principle that God's been shaping in me of Love and tenderness towards my children. I give them unconditionally of myself the best form of love that I can give that hopefully is a Christ-like love. And if you interact with my children and they came up to you and you said, do you love your dad? And they said, absolutely, we love our dad. But then you saw that the way that they spoke with me was disrespectful, how they disobeyed what I asked them to do, would you really believe their profession or confession that they loved me as their father? Probably not. And that's where I think for us, we see that in ourselves, that is the root issue. God is not interested in people that on the surface proclaim to be part of his, no matter how bold their witness may be or how put together their life appears if the heart response to God himself is one of self-centeredness and not done by faith. When Stephen calls them uncircumcised in heart and ears, he's just echoing this thing that it does no good to be aligned with God out of duty. God is not after lemmings. He doesn't want people that just do what he says blindly and aimlessly. He's after people that their heart is humbled before him and that he can use by his spirit. And. again, just to further emphasize this, look at who is standing overseeing the execution of Stephen. A young man named Saul. We know what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when we look at Saul's radical Christ encounter on the road to Damascus and being changed by the Spirit's power and no longer being known as Saul, but the Apostle Paul with a clear ministry from God. But at this point in his life, Paul didn't need any more law. He didn't need any more of a spirit of wanting to hold on to traditions that were part of his religion. He didn't need to have more devotion to the temple. He was going to demonstrate that fully from this point on where he was willing to savagely persecute Christians in the church at all costs. He was convinced that that was his response to God. What was missing And Paul, at this point, was faith. And there's a working of the Spirit that is absent, and the warning for us is equally true. We can come to this building week in and week out. We can be devoted to the ministries of this body, this church here. But if the heart is unresponsive to the Spirit, we are no better than Saul. And we shouldn't kid ourselves that way. The Holy Spirit does all the supernatural work in a person's life. And as we try and tie this Old Testament account, you may find yourself asking, okay, well, how does the law that Moses was given apply to me? I mean, didn't Jesus say that he came to fulfill the law? I don't need to follow Mosaic law anymore. I'm not part of the nation of Israel, right? Those things have been for a time and a purpose. They're done now. And those are good questions. They're all true. But I think as I reflected on what Stephen's message is to the crowd and how it applies to us, I think There's two responses, and first is where we all need to start, which is, have I responded to the call of God for salvation in my life? Have I put my faith in Christ alone, and am I now seeking to live a life filled by the Holy Spirit and marked by obedience to God? And the second is I think we need to remind ourselves that we can still resist God. We can still have that spirit of striving against what the Spirit of God does. We call that quenching the Holy Spirit in our life. I can resist the spirits leading in my life and struggle with inconsistent obedience to God. And I can also turn my focus from good things within the church body or what God's word tells me and make them to be about me and my own purposes rather than finding God through those things and seeing his spirit and power magnified through my life. So we need to guard our hearts and evaluate and ensure that we're constantly realigning ourselves back with the message of the gospel, that we are broken and that God, by His Spirit, puts us together and makes our life useful. And I think that's one reason why we've put such a heavy focus on community group here at Northwest. Um, Ann and I have been blessed with a tremendous community group, and it's exciting to see God move through the lives of people. And part of the reason why I think we emphasize this idea of life-on-life discipleship here is that it's not only a primary way that God leads people to Christ through the community that we have in the church, but it also helps mature us in our faith, and it it helps us live lives that reflect Christ more and more each day. And through being in gospel-centered community with one another, we are giving permission for people to evaluate our hearts, to ask the tough questions, and make sure that we are staying aligned with God's Spirit I think the reminder for us is that we can't be united with God and not be part of his church. And to withdraw from the community of the church is resisting God. You are striving against what he has established to help us grow in our faith. And then we move to the second point where I think we really are going to look at the life of Stephen and what's demonstrated, which it's only by the grace of God that we can respond to the Holy Spirit with a pure heart, and it's only by the Spirit that we can have a life that demonstrates the power of God. And I think as we see in the early church especially, and what we'll see going forward in chapter 8 from here on, is that the power of a Spirit-filled life can sometimes be best demonstrated through suffering. And Stephen, we're going to see a life that's marked by radical Spirit-filled service to the church God and to others. We see a man, as we saw last week, that was chosen by the apostles because he was spirit-filled to be a deacon and to have a humble role within the church of serving tables for widows. And the Spirit of God picks and chooses who he wants to use and how he wants to use. And his first choice of a martyr for the kingdom of God was not the rock, Peter, that Jesus said he would build his church upon. It was not John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was Stephen, a lay person in the church that simply was used by the Spirit, filled by the power of God, and found useful for the kingdom. As we look through Scripture, I think a lot of times we put our focus on the Holy Spirit and rightfully so on the good things that we see, right? The fruit of the Spirit that's produced in our life. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, right? We teach our children this in our home. We have these little plates that have the fruit of the Spirit on them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all attributes of the Spirit that we should see coming through our life, and it's evidence that we're saved. But as we see in this passage, and particularly how Stephen begins his ministry and how the Spirit chooses to end his ministry is that many times a true presentation of the gospel will result in our suffering. And as we see in this crowd, when the gospel is rightly presented, it confronts sin in an ugly way, and many times the outcome is not peaceful discourse. It's complete opposition to the Spirit of God and resisting the message of the gospel. And because the gospel is not always going to be well received by anyone that we present it to, I think it's important that we understand and remind ourselves that the Spirit helps us endure hardships that come about because we're living a life that advances the gospel in dark places. The Holy Spirit used the hardship that the church faced to expand not just the geographic reach, persecution's gonna drive the church to. The ends of the earth that Jesus told them they would reach, but the way the Spirit had to do it was disrupt the community that the church could have held closely to in Acts chapter 2 and not been willing to leave the peaceful confines of their home ministry, right, and breaking of bread and, and teaching the Word, but by the Spirit's power and people that are willing to be used, He expands the kingdom and reaches people that before never had access to the gospel. And for us as ambassadors for Christ, we are fully endowed with not only every piece of Christ's authority, but we're also given power to go and complete the mission by the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. I won't read these passages in the interest of time, but you can write down uh, the references. But Jesus promised his disciples the early church that the Holy Spirit would be given. In John 14:15 through 17, we see that promise made that the Holy Spirit would be given to the church. In John 16, verses 13 through 15, the reason the Spirit was given was to guide us. And then thirdly, in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, we need the Spirit to guide us so that we can be empowered and fulfill the call of Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel to places that have not heard it. And even in the very situation that Stephen found himself in, that was promised by Christ himself to occur. And so again, God does not leave us blind to what suffering will look like, but he reminds us that through faith we have to trust that he knows what's going to happen, and he will sustain us to the end and help us endure. Look at what Jesus promised that we see fulfilled through Stephen's persecution and ultimately his death. Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says, but be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and they will bring you to trial and deliver you over. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved suffering is a central part of scripture but even more than that it is included in God's design for salvation Jesus had to suffer to atone for our sin and we as his followers have to be willing to suffer likewise in the same footsteps of what Jesus demonstrated to bring the gospel to others just look at the Old Testament foundation, the examples that we saw in Abraham, Moses, Joseph, others that you can read through in Hebrews 11, these aren't people that had comfortable lives. In many cases, they were people that were looking ahead to a promise that God had given, but it was never fulfilled on this side of eternity. But despite their situations, they fully trust God. They never waver in their obedience to him. Hebrews eleven thirty eight calls those people they're those of whom the world was not worthy. I don't know about you, but this is what I want on my tombstone, right? The world was not worthy of the way I lived my life because it rejected God, and that's who was reflected through me. Paul in Romans 4 describes how Abraham's faith increased as he continued to follow God even through the most difficult times of his life. Romans 4:20 20 through 21, this is a great promise if you are in a difficult season of life and need to hold on to the promise of God But speaking of Abraham, Paul writes and he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And in Stephen, we see a man that is fully convinced of the same promise that Abraham held on to. And at the end of his life, he not only gives a mirror image almost of how Christ himself faced death and suffering, but we see in this last set of verses in 55 through 60, a man that can love people that hate him with every part of their body. And We should take comfort that God will not only sustain us, but that he honors those who have suffered and given their life for the gospel. It is worth it to be a martyr for the kingdom of God. Revelation 6, nine through 11 is this great heavenly scene where the seals are being opened, the lamb is there, God is getting ready to take care of sin once and for all. And then Revelation 6, John writes and says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Matthew nineteen twenty nine, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And then finally Psalm one sixteen fifteen precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That holds true for those who finish life well, just through long life and faithful service to God, as much as it stands true for those that God has chosen and marked to die for the gospel and and suffer as martyrs. And martyrdom really serves two purposes. There's an external view of martyrdom and an internal one for the church. And first, for a lost and dying world, it stands as a demonstration of the overwhelming conviction of our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit to preserve God's people, even in the worst situation, that we can be filled with peace and joy and patience up until the very end. And for the church, it should stand as a witness that the surpassing value of our redemption by Christ is worth our entire life. The fact that Jesus's life was given for mine and given for yours can only mean that our own life is the best form of worship we can offer in return. Jesus didn't say that all of us would have to suffer as martyrs. When you look at that Matthew 19, 29 verse, he includes family, right, possessions. There are things that we will have to be willing to give up and will give up to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And God will not rob us on the other side of eternity for being willing to live life with an open hand and allow him to put in our possession or take away things that are for his own purposes and his own good. And that's what we see in the Old Testament, isn't it? Stephen, again, pointing through his witness that men and women who followed God give it all. They don't keep it in a closed fist. Stephen is really the example that we wanna be like, modeling Christ even to the end through his death. Joseph Tan was a, a pastor in Romania during communist rule. He was in prison for a number of years in the 70s, tortured, beaten for his faith, but endured. And when he got out, he spent much of the rest of his life studying what martyrdom looked like in the early church and looking at Scripture to understand the promises that God has for those who do suffer for the gospel. I want to read this quote. It should be on screen uh, from a book that I read by him. And this is his sort of commentary on what he's seeing in the scene of Acts chapter 7 and Stephen's death. He says, Stephen's job is not only to express love in his verbal testimony, but to demonstrate it by his own suffering and by his love that forgives the ones who inflict the pain. He is there to meet the hate with love and to conquer the evil by accepting suffering and by forgiving the ones who inflict it. I call this the aggression of love The witness, Stephen, is not a passive victim, but the aggressor, the fighter. He takes the initiative to the end. Even his last prayer by which he entrusts his soul into the hands of the master is part of that aggressive testimony. It is a demonstration of a victorious spirit unto the end. No martyr is a victim. Every martyr is a victor. And God's design for the Spirit-filled life is one of humility. It's one of service to others. That may be, in part, why God chose Stephen, a deacon, to be the first martyr, to set the example that it wasn't just the apostles and those that were in the inner circle of Christ that would have to endure hardship. It was going to be the normal people that live the day-in and day-out lives, are they willing? to follow God to the very end. And in Stephen, we see a man who's marked by the Spirit's power through humility, service to others, and willing to accept that the will of God for his life was ultimately his death to advance the kingdom. Just look at what Jesus says to his disciples. These are gentle but firm reminders of how we should live. Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 15, 12 through 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And again, John would emphasize in a letter to the early church in 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Holy Spirit-driven love can't be fate. It's only produced by the power of the Spirit, and that type of love is perfected through suffering. So as we kind of close this passage, there's a lot in here that I would encourage you to read throughout the week, and maybe um, to help give some explanation of how the Old Testament fits with what Stephen's witness is. Hebrews 11 would be a great uh, cross-reference to what Stephen's uh, charge is here. But how can we summarize it? I think first, set first point. That even through the example of Stephen, we see clearly from the Old Testament to now that the Spirit calls and we have to respond by faith, and faith is demonstrated by obedience to God. And then second, I think we need to remind ourselves that to strengthen our faith and increase our obedience to God, He's given us the Holy Spirit that empowers us to witness, to go to the ends of the earth, and even to do that through suffering. So there's a couple of questions as we wrap up our time just to find application and and ask the Spirit of God to point out for our own hearts, where do we stand with this message that Stephen delivered and the example that he lived. So how is the Spirit leading you to respond to the testimony of Stephen? As you reflect on Stephen's testimony and the crowd's reaction, I think first is this question, have you responded to the Spirit's call for salvation? When you look at the crowd, I think the second piece is, is there an area of your life where you are resisting the spirit and quenching the work of God in and through your life? And then as we see the closing images of how Stephen faced his death, ask yourself, are you keeping the faith well? Are you trusting the spirit to lead your life? Is there evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit? Are you bearing witness to the work of God and your actions, behaviors, and your attitudes? Or is there an area of your life where you need the Spirit's strength? You may be one that is going through a difficult time. You may be one that is advancing the gospel faithfully, but finding rejection, and you need hope that it is worth it. The Spirit stands there ready to encourage you that. And how can your church and your community group encourage you to keep the faith well, to continue to witness strongly for the Lord? And then finally, how firm is your confidence in the Spirit to strengthen your faith in the midst of difficult times? And for many of us, there may have been times that we struggled, we experienced hardship. That is part of our testimony that God wants to use to encourage other people that are going through a similar season of life. And so are there things that you are holding back that you need to share within your community group or this context of church here that will encourage us all to see the Spirit's power in your life and to mutually encourage one another to pursue that for ourselves. Let's pray, and then Kyle will lead us in a time of worship and response. Father, as we've gone through the book of Acts, it's a a challenging reminder that our hearts can still veer far from you. And Lord, that even good things that you have given to the church, we can easily make about ourselves and quench the Spirit and no longer see the power of God demonstrated through the body of believers here. Lord, we want to be anything but that. We want to be people that, as Ezekiel said, have hearts of flesh that respond to the Spirit and see a demonstration of power in our life, God. Lord, you, by your Spirit alone, produce fruit in our lives And God, even these basic reminders that we need to go back to the truth of your word, would you keep us consistent through prayer and through the application of scripture to be spirit-filled believers, ones who reflect Christ and become more like him every day? Would you give us faithful opportunities to share the gospel and to see fruit come about because of what the spirit is doing within us? We thank you for this time that we can look at your word and would it not be void in our life but would it produce fruit that lasts. We pray these things through the powerful name of your son, Jesus, amen.
1: Would you stand to your feet? We're gonna have pastors in the back and let's respond to the Lord. If you need to pray with someone, we encourage you to do that. This is a time to respond to the Lord of the Lord leads you. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. as you speak. Oh, To encourage you if you want to pray this is the time if the stars were made to worship so Where you lost your life so I could find it